Good morning, good afternoon, friends, wherever you are. This is Eric Wright. I'm going to be the host of your Disco Posse podcast today. And let's jump right in to share with you the amazing people that make this podcast possible. I want to give a shout out to our sponsors and friends over at Veeam Software. So make sure that you check out Veeam Software for everything you need for your data protection needs. This is going to be cloud data management, on-premises data protection, business continuity, disaster recovery, the whole kit, the whole caboodle, maybe a kit and a caboodle. Either way, you want to go to vee.am forward slash disco posse. That's vee.am forward slash disco posse. Super easy to find. Uh, and also check out the really cool stuff they're doing with the recent launch of V11. They've integrated their Casting product for cloud native backups. That's right. Yes, you're going to back those things up. And your SaaS, Teams, you name it. So go check it out. Go to vee.am forward slash Disco Posse. Also, uh, I've got some really neat stuff that's going on on a co-sponsoring front because I've got a new venture that just launched. If you want to check out the greatest, most devilishly good coffee in the business, you're going to want to go to diabolicalcoffee.com. That's right. Uh, I'm a longtime fan of coffee and fantastic brands, so we've created one. So I'm the co-founder of Diabolical Coffee, and I really, really would love to see you go check it out. So if you go to diabolicalcoffee.com, and make sure you use Disco Posse as the coupon code on your checkout, and you will get a nice little discount to top it off. So make sure you go to diabolicalcoffee.com. We've got some really cool swag. We've got a deal we're going on right now uh, if you're listening live or close to it. Uh, so all for March and April, we've got a deal. If you buy a hoodie, you get 50% off two coffee products. So cool. So tasty. Devilishly good. And also, one last thing, if you want to check out anything you need about upping your own game around better connecting with consumers, customers, prospects, and even your peers, if you're a technical demo or technical seller, uh, or even a product marketer, you can go to velocityclosing.com. And there's a book and an audio series that I've got, which has helped a lot of folks to be able to really up their game to better engage, better connect. And uh, you also get a chance to meet with me regularly uh, through a coaching program. So go check it out. Go to VelocityClosing.com. With that, let's jump in. We're going to talk to Shira Shamban. Shira was in incredible. Such a great conversation about the best way to operate an empathetic team to really really do some neat things. Most importantly, she's doing some fantastic stuff uh, with her team. You can find out all about that by going to solvo.cloud. But in the meantime, check it out. This is a fantastic conversation with Shira Shamban. Hi, I'm Shira Shamban, the CEO of Solvo, and you're listening to the Disco Posse podcast. Shira, thank you very much. This is really, really cool because I really, I, I've been digging into the background of you, uh, your your company, and both have an incredible amount of interesting topics to cover. <laughs> so, uh, thank you very much for joining today. Uh, and for folks that are new to you, uh, I think the best thing to do if you want to just introduce yourself, tell us quickly a bit. A, a bit about uh, about Solvo, and then we'll dive into. Uh, we'll start with kind of what what the problem is you're solving, and then we'll go out from there because I know we've got a lot of really great stuff that I know you can cover. 
Perfect. So hi, everyone. Great to be here. And thank you, Eric, for having me. I'm Shira, the CEO of Solvo. Uh, I joined or I started Solvo with my co-founder, David, after we worked together in another cloud security company uh, named Dome9. Uh, in Dome9, we got to learn about different problems in the cloud security domain. We thought we got them all covered. But as we started digging in a little more, we realized that we are now mature enough as cloud users to start facing uh, new problems or problems that in the past we didn't have uh, the capacity to start handling. And Solvo is here to, to actually make the cloud a non-issue from the security perspective, starting on the left side where the developers are actually starting to cause some, some mess and to make sure that our uh, applications make it safely and securely to production. It's... Uh, it's funny when we we have this, uh, and I've I've seen the phrase, and I've I've heard it. We more and more here. We talk this idea of shift left, and and the idea that get in front of you know the delivery of code, and it it is interesting that we're able to now, but we haven't been for a long time. And I I'm curious as to get your sense of why now is the right time where we can actually become effective at that stage in in the build and deploy lifecycle. Well, I think that the world is shifting towards software-centric uh, products. Um, even, you know, the medical industry, okay, uh, medication or research used to be about uh, chemistry and physics, and today it has a lot to do with software. Think about the, the new COVID-19 vaccines. Uh, they, they came using uh, breaking the mRNA of that virus. Um, so it has a lot to do with software. Software is a central part of our products, of our services that we consume. So now that we understand that, you know, this is the center of many things that we use, uh, we also understand that actually many problems that we start, we wanted to solve, uh, you know, it's like something hurts you and you want to solve only, only the pain, but now we're actually starting to dig in and to understand where is the pain coming from? And a lot of security pains are coming from where the product uh, evolved. It evolved with the first lines of code that were written. And this is why it's the right time to start solving security problems or instead of solving them, just preventing them as early as possible. This is why we decided to work with developers as early as possible uh, to make uh, the cloud a, a safe place for us to, to scale. It, it's interesting because we've always talked about you know this the devops as a, a methodology and it, it became strong in the past few years and i i can't even remember how far back it goes now like at the but it's funny that at some point someone referred to this idea of dev devsecops and they said why do you have to explicitly say sec in there it said because no one explicitly put security in the life cycle that's why you know that's we right. we missed it we have to say it explicitly we talk about it a lot i think about it when you drive you want to make it from point A to point B. You don't think about, let's drive safely to that place. But this is like something that, that you do as a part of driving. And we expect developers to do security as a part of delivering code. And we expect the DevOps engineers to, to give them the, the guardrails to help the software to be delivered securely to places. But unfortunately, it's not 
yet a part of our culture. Security is, has a lot to do with culture. And if you go and look at the curriculum of, of, of computer science uh, degrees, you will not be finding a lot of um, secure development or cybersecurity in general, you know, courses. There, maybe there is like one cybersecurity course. It sounds really awesome, but then they only talk about very high level stuff and not about how to create a secured software. Yeah, this is, it's neat that you bring this up because I think a lot of what we're doing now, the, the challenge we bump into is that we are effectively a generation behind on influencing these next, today's actions because they've come through the influence of the school systems and the current practices. And you know, I remember when I went to school, you know, I the world was using C and they were still teaching Turing, you know, and then they moved on to Java and then they were teaching C. And so wherever we wherever the world was, the the universities were five to, to eight years behind because no one could build a consistent, testable and proven cur curriculum because they didn't know if it was going to stick. So I understood at that time. But now the world moves much, much faster. Right. Universities are, at, at least, you know, in my perspective, are a little behind. They're always a little behind. But this is, I mean, this generation, on the other hand, has any content they want, uh, you know, over on YouTube, Udemy, uh, you name it, it's there. Only uh, The only thing you have to do is, is go and grab it. Um, so this is why I think that, you know, for example, I think that many... Uh, university students also participate in in OWASP meetups and uh, uh, capture the flags events because right. they understand that they have to be relevant to the industry and not to the university. That is, if they want to 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 work in the industry and not become a, you know a researchers and, and professors in the university. Yeah, this is interesting. I think the the access to information even questions more the relevance of the traditional educational system because the world is not only already ahead, but rapidly accelerating and the access to information is is good. However, like the fundamentals of folks that are doing you know, the, the research and the learning methodologies, I think that's what's still super important about the, the school system. It's just that when you get out, year one getting out of school is, is going to be a real, you know, turn of events for a lot of people as they take those first jobs and and mm -hmm. get dropped in. And, and then, yeah, especially when you're writing code, like there's no license to write code. There yeah. very certainly isn't a security check to write code. <laughs> I get very often I get asked, how do you get into cybersecurity? Um, or do you have to learn to code in order to work in cybersecurity? So maybe this is a good chance to 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 say something about this to, to our audience. Um, there isn't one path to become uh, a software engineer. There isn't a one path to get into cybersecurity. It all depends on what do you want to do. Uh, do you want to be a security analyst or do you want to be a DevSecOps engineer? These are two very different uh, things to do. And really, the most important thing to do is to start sniffing around and working with your hands. Like if you want, if you're all about, I don't know, reverse engineering, go to GitHub, find an interesting project and reverse it. There's so many tutorials out there on Medium or, you know, anywhere else. Just look for how to reverse engineer something and, you know, start doing it yourself with zero knowledge. Start working with your hands. Uh, you will get the hang of it and you will also be able to understand if 
this is something you want to further explore, or maybe you want to try a different domain. So most importantly, go and do it. Document what you do. Have a GitHub account and put your projects over there because if you don't come with a degree from a university, I think that at least for me, when, when I interview people, if they attach, if they uh, write down their GitHub account, I always check it out. It's a great opportunity to for me to see what they do uh, and not only hear about it, but actually get to see their code, get to see their projects, get to see how curious they are. Um, so this is a great opportunity for you to show uh, potential employ uh, employers um, who you are. This is funny because you think of, we hear often about the developer interview and the, the sort of horrifying stories of the, you know, I don't want to pick on Google, but they're, they're, that name is often attached to some of the most challenging interview processes and, and people really struggle through them. And, and I remembered I did a, a whiteboard interview as an ops person one time, and it was you know, working for a large you know, cloud company. And so all of a sudden they're like, hey, you've got a whiteboard behind you. And so what I want you to do, and like literally the person's on the other end of the phone, and he says, I want you to you know show me what design you would build for a customer facing cloud environment based on our technologies <laughs> like oh okay. boy but it was it was cool because it really put me to the test and then what i thought was if i had written that down and saved that i could actually literally store it somewhere and show that hey this is an active architecture that i've done and this is where this github opportunity is because you can do what you just said right you can you can explore this stuff. You can try it out. You can do it through a boot camp. You can do it through free meetups, all sorts of great peer opportunities, and then just pop it out there. And people yep. can look and they say, hey, all right, I see you're active. You know, And I don't think people really judge the, the, the code itself as much as they want you to see your curiosity. And it's, I like that you picked that up as the, the thing that you're looking for in somebody. Yeah, we don't, you know, when we hire, we don't necessarily look for, you know, a degree from a, an Ivy League uh, university. Uh, we don't look for that. We don't, by the way, when we hire, we don't look for any specific technology or coding language that someone uh, has experience in. What we look for is people who are creative, talented, want to solve a problem. Uh, we had a problem here uh, recently in, in a specific domain that none of us had experience in. So uh, we had a new uh, employee on the team and we told him, listen, here is your new project. Uh, we know that you know nothing about that, but we don't know anything either. So go explore, research and implement. And that's fine. The other thing as well um, is not even just sort of the background and the skill set that can be very diverse and and you like that curiosity. We want that. But talk about even your own background growing up in technology and where your origins in your own school, you know, and we think of like these incredible startup scenes all over the world. Obviously, you know, my even my own company, we have an office in Tel Aviv, a small mm -hmm. group of developers, but an incredible access to a pool of amazing folks that are local. Then we've got folks that are on the West Coast. We've got some that are on the East Coast. We've got some that are in EMEA. And, you know, so you yourself, you know, have your own background and, and you probably have teams and, and folks around. How do you do the selection when you're looking for somebody new when it comes to geographic and, and sort of geodiversity? 
Right. So, so for us as a small startup right now, um, we still look at people. We still want people to show up to the office, even right. during COVID, you know, except for the times of the lockdown, we, we wanted people to show up to the office because again, as a very young startup, you know, the, the, those coffee breaks are so important for the product, for the company, for the brainstorming. These are things that, I mean, some things you can do over Zoom, but th- some things you can't. Right. And this kind of, of building a company and product cannot happen over Zoom, at least in my opinion. Um, so right now we are hiring people who can make it um, to the office. But generally speaking, I think that we have a pretty good and straightforward uh, recruitment process. We don't give a, a home assignment. I think it's <laughs> Uh, you know, some some people get an assignment. They're being told, "Yeah, this should take three, four hours," but actually, you're expected to spend a whole week on it. Right. This is outrageous, in my opinion. Um, I think that we need to respect our our candidates' time. They shouldn't be sitting at home. Instead of you know, they, they they're working somewhere else. So in the time that they have over the weekend or in the evening, you can't expect them to be you know, to be as good as they theoretically could have been in the office. So we don't give a home assignment at all. We don't believe in that. We believe in, you know, having a couple of technical interviews, another personal uh, interview to see that that person has a good fit to the company culture and to the culture that we want to build. Some people are are the right people uh, at, at different stages. Um, some people we did not hire because we didn't think they had a good, social fit for our current status uh, as a very, very small team. Uh, But they theoretically could be a a better fit when we're, you know, 100 employees. Um, So this is our our process. It's very straightforward. Um, It's very honest. We don't require, as I said before, a specific experience in in a specific coding language. We just look for talented, smart people. It's it's neat that you brought up that as well. Uh, the idea of at the phase of the company, the hiring will be different. And you know, you've been through different company phases yourself in your own past. And you know, I've I've heard, I remember the first time I actually heard the phrase that I'm sure has been attributed to a, a many other places, but as a great interview with Diane Green. And mm-hmm. she said it was important as we looked at the early, early hires. And she says, because the first 10 hire the next 100. And I loved that that phrase just because it was like it was so important she says because once you hire the 101st person you're no longer involved as a founder in impressing upon them the values and culture that you need it has to have been impressed upon them and carried forward by the first 10 who hired that next group and so it was it was neat to hear that and you know now you're at the the early phases of this next venture uh but you've been through this before so how do you know when somebody's at the right <laughs> phase? It's probably not an easy thing. I can share with you a little secret. Um, David, my co-founder, and I, you know, we in, in our mind, we wanted to build a very healthy company from day one. We know that we will have tons of trouble coming our way, lots of problems to solve, but we try to do things the right way as much as we can so that we will have less fires to 
to, uh, you know, to, to shut down later. And one thing that we did that I think is, is unusual and that's unfortunate for very early stage startups is to take um, a, a psychology professional to help us in building uh, the team. Um, yeah, this is someone who, who actually accompanies us both in the hiring process and also, you know, when David and I have a challenge uh, that we're not sure how to approach, uh, I always prefer to talk to her about it. Uh, if, you know, we had a certain situation with a certain employee and, and you know, we David and I both have a lot of experience managing different types of personas, but the fact that we have experience doesn't mean that we react well in certain situations. So I prefer to talk to her and tell her, listen, this is the situation and this is where we want to be. This is what I want to achieve with that person and with the company. What would be the best way to handle this situation to make sure that, that we, we go forward to the place we want to be? We want to help, for example, help uh, our employees grow with us to, to you know, be more professional, learn new things. Even when they're senior engineers, you can always learn new things. You can always have cleaner code. Uh, you can always you can learn how to uh, tutor other people. Not everyone has that that experience. So you know, I can come to that person and tell them what I think they should be doing. But maybe I should be talking to them differently about this topic. So we try to talk to her about certain issues and just learn from her experience what would be the best way to react in certain situ situations. It, uh, it takes a lot of humility to do that. That's uh, a tough, uh, it's, a, it's very, uh, this is very new. I, I've, and I really, really like that you've done this. And it's, it's interesting because most folks, you had me at psychology, right? I have my own background is I studied a lot of behavioral psychology and, uh, and, you know, technology was the, People say, "How do you get? How are you good at technology?" Easy. I know people. <laughs> <laughs> but as a founder and as a leader, you've all you've you've early on you've accepted that the best thing you can do is make sure that from the outside in that you're doing the right thing. That's a it's a rare it's a rarity <laughs> to find people that are that understand that this early uh, and are able to accept that and actually make it part of the process, which is very I'm I'm really really proud that you've done that. There are, you know, on most topics, there are other people who know better than me. Then it would be stupid of me to, to think that I know best and do whatever I think is the right thing to do and then call them in later and have them fix all the mess I did. I prefer that I talk to, you know, the, the, the right person for the right situation, be it marketing, sales, or psychology and team building, I prefer to talk to these people and ask them for their advice. At the end of the day, as the CEO, I will make the decision, but I choose to talk to professionals to get their opinion about stuff. And when I make a decision, I will know that, that I took it based on the wisdom and experience of other people. It really, it, there's a lot of other good examples of folks that have, it's, the the difficulty but importance of doing what you just described right and i mean uh, ray dalio uh you know in his yeah. uh, book principles very, mm -hmm. yeah very strong about the idea of uh, and this is a challenging one some people don't really like it is an idea meritocracy and 
because the belief when you hear idea meritocracy, it means that they that person doesn't believe they're going to have the idea that wins. It's like, no, no, no. It really is literally a group collective. And sometimes you won't, you know, your idea may not be the one that makes it to the, the next stage. But what's important is as a group, we do this. And there has to be somebody that has to be able to resolve, choose, decide based on data, but they ultimately have a a, a stronger vote as the CEO. You have a greater res you have a responsibility to the entire organization, to your investors, to your shareholders, to your customers. So it's uh, well, yeah. I, you know, they come because they believe in us that we will take the company and them to good places. So in my mind, I have uh, my employees and my customers all the time. I, I I want my customers to love the product that we we make for them, and I want my employees to feel. Uh, proud of of where they work and what they do. Uh, I I when when this incredible business becomes as as strong as it will, and you get a successful exit at some point, what I need you to do, Shiraz, take this and make this your next startup. Is teaching people how to run bloody companies because it is it is really really strong, you know for. You 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 look to the outside. Like even everything you you describe of yourself, you want to bring outside in. You have a responsibility to your team and your customers. It's uh, it is a very rare, like I said, a rare treat to to meet somebody who's got that understanding of the impact and and how you can both you know make those difficult decisions, but at least be very aware of the impact and also then. Be able to relate that to the, those folks, you know, through an advisor, through you. Because unfortunately, human resources today, I know a lot of amazing people in human resources, but many, you know, human resources teams are effectively legal teams because they're there ultimately to make sure that we are protecting the employees and the organization, you know, in like traditional day to day operational stuff. Yeah. Uh, so they don't always look at the team building and uh, uh, culture building. Um, yeah, this is true. And, um, you know, it, it's up to us to, to make a difference in our own world. And so I imagine this also then goes then when you get to your bringing your story to the customers, right? And, and to especially in the developer world, because you are you're tackling two of the most difficult selling areas that most people will understand if they've gotten involved in technology vendors. So selling to developers is profoundly difficult because there's so many free options. There's so many you know ways that they can think they can get around it. They want to build it they, versus buy it. And then the second piece is, of course, security. And even worse is then you have to bring those two teams together at a customer and say, I'm going to get your security people and you, your developer team, to agree on something. And we're going to put code in your in your code. And then <laughs> we're going to achieve this together. And most people would say, like, this is welcome to unicorn land. You've found something that's incredibly difficult to do. But uh, so how does it how's the experience for you as you then go into this, you know, into prospective customers and you know, what's that flow look like as you come to a new person? They say, all right, tell me, Salvo, looks really neat. Love this mm -hmm. idea. How do I make it part of my day and, and what will it do? Uh, so you're absolutely right. This is a challenge. We, we took a pretty big challenge, but it's only because we believe that this is the right approach 
uh, when you want to do software security or anything that is related to, to software, even if it's DevOps. I think you have no choice but to learn how to speak to developers. And, and when David and I thought about our, our idea and its implementation, what we had in mind was, let's make a product that developers are not going to hate. <laughs> hate the product. Uh, and the best thing to make them not hate the product is is for the product to be transparent and seamless to whichever the way they work. So we knew the product has to uh, integrate smoothly, you know, in any way they work and different organizations work in different ways. Uh, the more uh, advanced ones that we ran into are, um, you know, they told us that their approach is you build it, you run it. So they give a lot of responsibility to the developers that it is not really about security. It's it's around around the R&D. It's security and DevOps. The, the, the developers do that. Right. Um, so so you have these kind of, of users or customers, and you have the other ones who say, don't touch the developers. They're so fragile. Let them just write code and we will do anything, everything else you need you need us to do. And maybe unlike some of the other security products, our approach is not to come from above the developer or the security person and tell them, hey, here's a list of all of your fuck-ups and all the bad stuff you did and all the uh, misconfigurations and all the vulnerabilities we found in your code or in your infrastructure or in your application. Because you have plenty of products that do that. And then the security person goes like, where do I get started? What is, you know, top priority, most risky? And, and how do I actually resolve that? How do I remediate that? How do I mitigate that? Sometimes it sounds so obvious. Yeah, this is a misconfiguration and you have to fix it. Hey, here's a, you know, a hard-coded, uh, uh, um, you know, um, key. It shouldn't be there. Yeah, I know it shouldn't be there, but but how exactly would I get access to that place that I wanted to get access to? So they understand they did something wrong, but they don't know how, how to work around that. So we don't come from above. We come from being parallel to you or look you in the eyes and tell you, I know you don't know how to do it. Let me do that for you and take that off your plate. Let us help people who need to do security but don't know how to do it just do it for them. Uh, this is what we had in mind. We wanted to make it really easy for everyone. I think the 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 empathy in the process is what makes it easier for them to adopt because it's you're not coming to them saying that they're wrong. You're saying that they shouldn't have to know this stuff. In and let's let's do this together where we take the we take the weight of it. And we mm -hmm. work in the way that you work so that you can do what you do best. And uh, it, it is the, the right approach for sure. And one where, especially security in general, it's a tough one, tough conversation to have with people, you know, because if we go and I've gone through security reviews, even like fantastic coders and, you know, you find me the greatest coder on any team in the world. And then when they leave the company, I'll find you somebody who says, oh my goodness, I can't believe I'm going through all this garbage code, right? Like it's it's all very subjective and it, it achieves the right results. But then when you bring in security, you know, it's a it's a, an additional challenge that's not in the typical 
the part of the brain that works in the very creative developer minds. It often is security has a different a different part of the of the world, you know, of the of the mind that gets accessed when thinking securely. And then add to that that sometimes you have to go through different audits and compliance checks. And then this is when you really lose your hair. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So how about if you, we just get it right at the beginning and, and man, maintain it, uh, you know, least privileged or secured. Um, and it's really difficult because, you know, some organizations deploy a few times a day, a few times an hour. So they, they produce tons of new code every day. Uh, so it's really hard. So you, you ran through an audit yesterday. You were compliant yesterday. You know, one hour later, I don't know what's going on. Um, and it's, yeah, that's it's, all it takes, right? It's a new, you add a new library, you bring in some third-party code, and then you don't necessarily know. It may not even be in your own control that all of a sudden it is ultimately accessing some piece of NPM or some other product space that's getting brought in that you didn't expect. You know, they just add a, add a library to their repository. It does what they expect it to do, a gem or, or you know, whatever it's going to be. And, you know, it's very easy to do. And it's very easy to bypass the, the that sort of secondary layer of checks that you need to do to make sure that it's secure, meets your practices. And especially when you get to, you know, least privileged stuff. When we started our journey, David and I, we thought that Solvo was going to be a product for developers, a tool for developers. So we didn't even create a UI. We just, you know, we had a CLI and, and our first uh, users really had to use that. And we thought that was just fine uh, until we started talking to more security practitioners who actually told us, wait, hold on. This product is actually for us. We <laughs> use this product because it gives us uh, the the ability to to govern without having to talk or to you know to have that unco uh, uncomfortable conversation with a developer. So this is when we thought to ourselves, wait, we 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 should probably get a UI for this and and create a visualization for for what troubles the the security engineers. The good thing is, at least in the approach you've taken, it's much easier. Well, well let's say not easier. It, it it feels to me like the right path to go is do it programmatically first and then build an an interface and and uh, an engagement experience atop of a sound and and working underlay uh so you know api first uh kind of idea and uh because it needs to work there first uh you know handing the greatest charts to an unusable product is is not going to be a value to any customer at all for sure yeah, this is why we, as you said, we started with, you know, building the heart uh, of the product and then creating those integrations later on. When you started and you decided this was a problem that needed to be solved, there's a lot of, you, you're, you have your customers and you ultimately have a huge partner ecosystem whether they want to be partners or not. This is also the interesting thing when you take on your, your solving problems with cloud security. So you're, at, especially in the early phase, you're very dependent on the stability of their environment and interfacing to the cloud providers and, and, and stuff. So now you're kind of going it alone and building this, in, this, uh, you know, this beautiful abstraction. And then, you know, 
as you go to the next phase and you start to work more tightly with those partners, what does that sort of look like? Because I'm always curious when you, you know, hey, we've got this great problem we're solving. And then you go to the a cloud provider and said, by the way, it's because you can't solve it. Or you, <laughs> it's how does that feel when you're having that first conversation with your, uh, you know, a new technology partner? Um, so luckily, you know, they've been using the cloud for quite some time now and they understand the gaps. And I think they also understand in a way why the cloud providers decided not to do those things. The cloud providers, promised us a, a stable infrastructure, the shared responsibility model. They say, listen, we're in charge of the bare metals. After that, you go ahead and do whatever you want to do. We will enable you the logs. We will help you with monitoring, but you will have to figure out what do you want to monitor. Um, so this is kind of the, the cloud vendor's approach, and this is why they also... Uh, uh, embrace uh, security solutions or monitoring solutions because they know that uh, they need us uh, just like we need them. It, security is one of the top priorities for, for the cloud vendors, obviously. So, so they really need our help to make their customers feel more comfortable and secure in the cloud. Um, so I think there's this kind of uh, mutual understanding. And then, you know, the, the, their customers, the, the, the people who use the cloud, well, the more mature they are and, you know, the more uh, solar winds kind of events happen, uh, you know, I know that I will have business because, uh, uh, you know, these things keep on happening and right. uh, more organizations understand, you know, that they have to take care of security and that it's not enough to have a virtual CISO. Uh, they will not take responsibility over this. If you don't give them the, the budget and the power, they will fail and you as the CEO or the board will fail in protecting your crown jewels, your customers' inf uh, information, uh, other secrets that needs to be kept secret and so on. Uh, as for our own customers, I think that you know, it's not trivial, and I'm always I have a lot of appreci appreciation to those people who who were willing to take a chance on us. It's not trivial to say, well, I can either you know, my biggest competitor is do nothing. Many organizations say, well, you know, I'm doing my best. I know I'm not least privileged. I understand that some bad things might happen to me. I will try to work on it next quarter. So do nothing is my, my biggest competitor right now. I, and I have to talk them into trying out a new company they've never heard of uh, that doesn't, haven't built the credibility just yet. Uh, but, you know, have two very enthusiastic entrepreneurs running the company. And, and they believe that we can solve the problem for them. Uh, they believe in us. And we we are we feel a lot of appreciation to them and to the fact that they're giving us this opportunity. They're giving us access to their um, resources. They sit with us, uh, you know, they go through an onboarding with us and then give us feedback and give us lots of feedback about our product and what's missing for them. How can they make better use of it? The, the upside of it is that we take their feedback and make more features out of that. So... So we really try to to make it uh, worth their while. The uh, 
the team is the important piece of it. And especially when we look at, uh, as they say, there's three T's when it comes to building a startup is team, TAM and technology. So, you know, team is very obvious in the way that everything you do and every, even the way you describe yourself, it's, it's always David and I, my team and I, you're very selfless and, and sharing the responsibility and the, and the wins in what the organization, organization builds as well as with your customers. Tam, uh, well, let's just, I don't know what the exact number is, but it's, it has many zeros and many commas. And like, so there is effectively an unlimited amount of need for security. And it was funny, like and I, I worked at a, a, a major financial institution and I'd be, you know, fighting saying, hey, can we, you know, can I get like new keyboards for the team? Because our keyboards are are broken and be like, how much are they? Like fourteen dollars? Uh, yeah. Can you maybe share one if you buy one? But then I'd look over and I'd see boxes and boxes of security hardware coming into the data center. I'm like, hey, what's going on? And like, security's first, right? It's a priority, and because there's two reasons you take security as a priority: one, you understand the risk, and you are de-risking the environment, which is the responsibility of every CEO. And number two, you're on the wrong side of you know, as you said, like solar winds, unfortunately, will be, you know, will be a namesake to, uh, you know, a breach for a while in the same way that we knew Tylenol was the reason why we have safety caps on our pill bottles. Yep. 20 years later, or however long it was, now people don't know that reference anymore. And hopefully 20 years from now, there'll be a very successful solar winds on the other side of this, this challenge that they're facing. But uh, in this domain, I just feel like today we talk about solar winds, but in a couple of months, we'll be talking about, a, a you know, a whole different company, a whole different hack. Yeah, um, it's a part of life. It's a part of our business. Yeah, and well, there's a very strong mutual respect among the industry that does make me very happy to be a part of it. You know, even you know, I, I work through my direct team and and other folks that I talk to, and nobody sees this as like, oh, you know, all right, here we are. You know, let's let's take advantage of this opportunity. Like, no, 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 let's make sure that customers have what they need. And, you know, until until the solar winds team, you know, effectively gets back on their feet and, and gets through the situation. Uh, not an easy one for sure. And, and I, I even warned a lot of my own internal salespeople. And I said, remember that you are one line of code away from being the next solar winds. Right. Because we just we have to make sure we are mindful that they they got to the situation for whatever reason but everybody has the opportunity to be in that situation. So be respectful about how you deal with it. Yeah, I think there is a lot of respect in the InfoSec community in general. Um, so yeah, I no one is making fun of it. No one is taking advantage of it. People are, are you know, trying to be good colleagues and, and try to help in any way they can. And it's, it's neat that you said that. Uh, there is very generally the strongest respect at a peer level in the infosec community. It's one that I've I started to go to like B sides conferences and and these other conferences, and I thought, why? What? Where are these amazing people from? Like I've been going to you know VMware user groups and you know all these like very technology centric. I went to Linux user groups. I've been a lot of in a lot of technology communities. And when I got to B-Sides, I was like, this is a, a beautiful place because there was everything from human hacking to lock picking to personal productivity to interview helping. And like, 
it was very diverse and it was also very open and accepting. You know, I didn't need to have, you know, oh, what size is your environment? There's there never a question of what I do. It, they, people were just interested in me. And then it was so fun that I, I gained that incredible respect and interest in that community because of it. Uh, so, and you, of course, you'll be involved in a lot of, you know, InfoSec communities. Uh, what's your sense of, of why they are so, you know, open and understanding that they are effectively in this together? You know, I think that uh, being a security professional is always tricky because when everything goes well, nobody really knows it's it thanks to you or that you have a part in this. But, you know, it's enough that you, you stopped 99% of, of the hacking attempts, but 1% failed and, and someone managed to hack you. Then it's all your fault. Everyone <laughs> is like, you know, staying away from you and you have to fix it. So I think there is kind of a mutual understanding that we're in this together. And, you know, different security researchers and different companies share IOCs and uh, indicate indicators of, of compromise with one another. They could have, you know, kept them to themselves. But if, if each and every one of us keeps the information they have to themselves, we won't be able to... Uh, to grow better, become better. And uh, at the end of the day, I know that it, maybe it sounds funny because uh, we're not doctors uh, in the sense that we're not saving lives, but, but doing information security is very important to our day-to-day -day life. And, and most people, you know, the average person watching Netflix has no idea what kind of, of security efforts are behind that. So I think that this is why there is a lot of uh, lots of mutual respect and also lots of support in this community because w we understand something that people from the outside don't understand. It there no there's no white hat ops teams right there's nobody there there is a very it's uh, there should be really there should be points where you could effectively question and we talk about you know like red blue red team blue team you know. Uh, uh, methodologies like there's a, a lot of really neat things that I wish would take their roots in in this infosec community and come over to other areas like SREs are are kind of designed to be that way that they think much more in the you know the full stack and and etc. But that's a tough responsibility, which is why I think they have to be very shared in the responsibility internally. And 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 then as a peer community, they they share amongst each other, which is pretty cool. I I really wish more more parts of IT uh, carried that kind of breadth of understanding of of how we can help each other. Yep. Uh, at least you know. Again, in the infosec communities, there, there is a lot of mentoring, a lot of you know. We talk about diversity a lot. Uh, there is a big difference between talking and doing, but I think that you know. The people I know in the community try really hard to to mentor, to tutor, to deliver their knowledge to other people and help them, uh, you know, start the, their next job in the industry or make their first steps in the industry. This was one of the reasons why I started um, a mentoring project a couple of years ago. I knew that uh, on the one hand, I know many uh, security professionals who, who are willing to help and mentor. And on the other hand, you know, I only have 24 hours a day. 
So there are only this many people I can mentor, but how about if I bring the mentors and the mentees and help them, you know, to uh, create to create a place for them to to talk to one another, to find the right match for them. Um, one time I, I was taking a, an elevator in the in the building where, where I was working and, and I saw this lady, she looked familiar. I wasn't sure where I knew her from. So luckily she was, uh, she had the name tag. So I was trying to, to look at it. I saw their name, it looked familiar. Uh, and then she she approached me and said, "Hey, you organized that uh, a mentoring meetup, right?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is where I know her from." And I asked, "What are you doing here?" She said, "I got my first infosec job." Oh wow! And I was like, "What? I'm so happy. This is a great story. We have to bring back to the community." So we had another meetup, and I had her uh, come as a speaker and share her story with everyone uh, because these are really the most inspiring stories having someone uh, tell their story and how they got their first job when you look for your first job you feel like you know everyone wants uh, someone to come with experience how can i get my experience if no one right. is give me my first opportunity so she came and she she shared her story about how she found her first job and you know it was against all odds um, she's a mother of three. She immigrated to Israel. Uh, so, you know, she had every excuse not to succeed in this. Uh, but she decided that this is what she was going to do. And she said that, uh, you know, she, she, she didn't spend the evenings with her kids because she really wanted to study hard and get ready, prepared, you know, to find that job and to show that She's working hard to get it. And she said, I know I didn't spend that much time with my kids, but I, I hope that in the future they will appreciate what their mom did. And, you know, anyone else, you know, you know, a young student, what is your excuse? She's a mother of three. Yeah. What is your excuse? This is my dog trying to get into the room. <laughs> I will open the door for her just so that she doesn't. Um... I love that. We have a special guest. It's uh... <laughs> yeah, a very dog-friendly office. Um, and she's uh, she's our uh, our star in the office. Uh, so sorry about that little interruption. <laughs> that's, uh, that's what makes these things fun is that is, uh, you know, if someone asked me one time, they're like, so, you know, like somebody knocked on the door and they're they're in, uh, they're like, oh, we're going to edit that out after. I'm like, no, 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 it's all good. <laughs> People actually enjoy that more than anything else. The um, When I look especially at, you know, what you just talked about, right, the ability to impact people at a very personal level is such a, a beautiful thing. And, and that's where I really, I like that you've uh, created a mentoring opportunity for folks. And because uh, we, you know, like, you know, wherever we are, you know, I say this, we isn't you and I on camera, but like, I know I'm only repeatable so many times. And, and I've looked for that same thing. And luckily you have same sort of ideas that I, I looked at, who can I bring through this and then introduce them when I'm not available to somebody else who can who can do that. And when you hear those stories of somebody, it's 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 actually them now doing work with uh, helping to advise uh, a startup, and it's founded co-founded by somebody who I had I had helped out you know a couple of years ago. And so it is it really does come back and and make you realize the power we have as people. 
Absolutely. You know, one word, one sentence that you tell someone, you have no idea how it's going to affect them. I, I had a, a, a soldier in the past uh, on my team and I gave her a task. And as a part of the task, she had to call another officer, so a higher rank, and to ask him something. And she was a little shy uh, about calling him because, again, it's a thing of ranks. Um, and I told her, no, you have to go and call him right now. <laughs> going to my office, but I told her, you keep your uh, the door in your office open. I want to hear you, the phone ringing. I want to hear you calling him. And, you know, she called. Everything was fine. Yada, yada, yada. Years later, I meet her. And she said, I'm sure you don't remember this, but thank you so much for pushing me to do that. I will never forget that. And for me, that was like, you know, just an ordinary day, me trying to to empower someone to do their job. Right. Um, but you really have no idea how much you're going to affect someone's life. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's amazing to see that. And and even when you talked before about security, it's a sort of sense that I have to be right all the time. They, you know, the in, the potential intruders only need to be right once. In, in in the same way of like when we deal with people and mentoring and, and running a running a, a company and, and running a team, we need to look for those things where you can we have to always do the right thing. And then every once in a while you get these little nuggets where it, a particularly right thing hops out <laughs> and you realize why well, we do the other stuff and, <laughs> and, and build those things and yeah, like if you read the culture code, right? The the foundation of the culture code and the one of the top things is not compensation. Like obviously those things are very important. They said it's the feeling of the sense of belonging. Yeah. And then the ability to fail amongst your peer group successfully. In that failing and, and being accepted is is the the most empowering thing you can do to somebody because then they know that they yes. They're more free to try again because otherwise they're going to lock up. They're going to stop doing things. It's it's a, a real impact on them and in their ability. Absolutely, this is definitely a part of you know building the the right team and making them feel like they can they can fail. We're going to support them. I always I also believe in you know post mortem for good events and for bad events. We need to see what we did and we should keep on doing, and what we could have done differently. Yeah, it's uh, it's actually a, a thing around mental models that I've been studying uh, this week in particular. I say as we're recording, and uh, from a company called Knowable. Actually, I had their founder Warren Schaefer on, and and they it's just like ten minutes a day, really neat little little blurbs. And the one thing they're talking about a football coach. They said we evaluate every play as if it had a life unto itself, and you know so. We want to see it as a beginning, an evolution, and a result, and and what created it, and and going through those postmortems and looking at every event, you have to sort of separate it from the rest of its surroundings, and and do that, and in doing so, you find methodologies and practices and things that you can apply to other situations that ultimately give you vision and values. Like, but that's why the vision statement is in your. It's in your soul, not on the back of the wall behind your front desk of your company. It's all great if it is. There's nothing wrong with that. But quite often, that's the only place that it really lives 
is in the paint on the wall. Mm -hmm. Before we had our first uh, employee, David and I sat and talked about our company's values. And on the one hand, it felt really weird to talk about it when it's only the two of us. <laughs> I know that we, we should talk about it now and not when there is a hundred people. And, you know, one day I will have, you know, a, a, a meeting with the, the entire team and what, like share my, my 10 commandments. I mean, people will feel that it's so disconnected from them, but we talked about the values not as something pretty to hang on the wall, but uh, we talk, we nailed it to, to three things that we believe in and that whenever there is some kind of decision we have to make, we ask ourselves if, like, based on our values or in light of our values, what is the right decision to make here? For example, if I talk about transparency, then, the like, if there is something that is on my mind, I have to go and talk about it. If I will not talk about it, then how am I transparent? How am I open to, to how I can't expect other people to come and talk to me about things that bother them, that trouble them, if I don't do the same. So yeah, values are very important. You have to know your values. You could create a Y Combinator for ethical founders. Like it's just such a beautiful thing. I, 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 I'm so I'm just absorbing it all because it is, it, unfortunately, rare in a lot of you know it is in humans and you know especially as a as a founder you have a very diverse set of responsibilities and it's very difficult to separate and you know those things from each other and also include the empathy the understanding the human relations side of the world to the fiduciary responsibility you have to the to the team the investors etc cetera, etc cetera, right just imagine if there were more uh, female founders in the world <laughs> that is very true you know and it's and this is funny i i struggle sometimes too when you know i look at my own my own podcast and the the numbers are unfortunately telling they're indicative of a lot of the industry problems right i have less female founders on than than male founders and that's uh and i i never want to say there's nothing worse than saying like so uh, can i ask you about your role as a female founder like you're a founder yeah i don't want to then like okay let's make this all about you know my wife gets asked all the time like hey can you talk about being a you know a female engineer and she says i'm an engineer I'm also female. That's actually the order that it goes in. She's like, <laughs> it, I, she, she doesn't want to have the one thing lead in front of the other. However, you know, as a as a as a world, I know we definitely do need to be more uh, very very open about the challenges that folks face. You know, especially in underrepresented communities and 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 such. So, I think that I mean. I totally understand your wife, and I usually follow uh, that same uh, feeling. I don't go uh, to interviews or, or you know, talk about me being a female founder. It's not interesting. But generally speaking, I think that uh, that empathy that you mentioned before can be found more uh, in women. I'm not saying that men are not uh, empathetic at all, and I'm not saying that all women are, but but this is something you can find more in women. Um, and yeah, unfortunately, there aren't enough of us uh, everywhere, but we're making a difference. Um, I, I started doing public speaking 
about six or seven years ago. I was, I was asked to, to speak at a conference and I didn't, they asked me to come and talk about cybersecurity. I was already a major in the Israeli intelligence, but I felt like me speaking about cybersecurity? I mean, there are plenty of other uh, you know, professionals to talk about it. Uh, who am I to be speaking about it to, to an audience? But then I read into an article saying that, I mean, the, the topic was why aren't there more women in cybersecurity? And the answer was that they are, they just don't have enough female role models in that domain. So they just don't think they can do it because there aren't other women doing it. Right. So then I decided to take that opportunity of speaking and to speak as much as possible. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I rarely say no to speaking opportunities just because I hope that there would be someone in the audience that would see me and then say, yeah, I can go to cybersecurity. Yeah, I can be a CEO. I can do the, all of those things uh, because I've seen other women do that. Um, so yeah, I, I, I try to, to create that path for other women to, to walk in. We've talked a lot about the importance of culture, you know, uh, the human side, empathy, uh, and also you're, you have a very positive outlook, even in difficulty. So I imagine that a lot of this has been shaped by adversity and how, what was the first major thing? Well, we'll go as young as you want, you know, the first, you know, real sense of adversity shaping you and creating how you react to it. Because the way that you approach things now, and even when you talk about difficult situations, that's definitely shaped by years of of learning. So I'm curious where that came from. Um, I'm trying to think where it all started. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But uh, first of all, my grandfather was a, a very influential a figure in the family. He was a he was a basketball coach, a volleyball coach, back in the days when uh, Israel was a very, very young uh, country. Obviously, there was nothing here. There was mostly sand. And he looked at sports as, as a way to influence people. Uh, he would, for example, he would have kids who were very talented at basketball, but didn't want to go to school. So he would tell them, listen, if you don't, uh, uh, get better in your studies, I will not allow you to play basketball on the team. So he was there. He was later on the coach of, uh, of the Israeli team to the Olympics and so on. So people remembered him, you know, until, until the day he died at uh, 94, um, uh, people remembered him and came to talk to him because they remembered him from elementary school. So he was a very influential person, uh, in my opinion, about giving to other people and using your power to empower others. Um, during my uh, during high school, uh, I, I was taking a part in a, a young leadership uh, a program. Uh, uh, today we can call it a social entrepreneurship, but then we didn't really use that term. Uh, <laughs> every high school, uh, I mean, every participant in the program had to create their own uh, impactful uh, social project. Uh, 
and I created my project was to help uh, underprivileged uh, uh, kids um, that lived in a, you know a specific very bad neighborhood uh, in, in, during elementary school uh, the, the um, Ministry of, of Education would already know that these kids are not going to graduate from high school wow. you know they're six seven eight ten years old they already give up on you uh, these kids you know they come from a very difficult background their parents immigrated they don't speak Hebrew they can't help help them with homework they're usually very hard working they're never at home um, so my project was you know again talk about you know the, your your impact or your influence just like my mentorship program I knew that you know if I would you know help one or two kids this is nothing I, I need to help 20 30 40. So I created uh, a big brother, big sister project. Um, I, I recruited uh, high school uh, students that were then uh, uh, joined with, uh, with another kid. Uh, and they were their big brother and sister. Uh, they would help them with homework. They would teach them basic stuff that you expect the, the parents to teach, like how to take the bus, how to pay for a slice of pizza and get the change. Uh, you know, re really basic stuff that they didn't do. No right. one did it with them. Um, so that was probably one of uh, of the most impactful experiences that I had because I, I was a I was also a high school student, right? So I I recruited my peers, by the way, from a different high school, not from my high school, so that they would be closer to that neighborhood. Uh, I, I did some fundraising. Uh, I wanted, you know, to have a fun event and have T-shirts and have uh, snacks. So I looked for donations. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I was so surprised when, when you know, people gave me like two hundred, three hundred dollars um, for like they don't know me, and I'm not. It's not like I'm a. I'm, I'm representing a, an official organization. This is just me trying to do something nice. Uh, but yeah, this is how, how it happened. And this is how I learned that really all you have to do is, is open your mouth, is speak up. I just set a, a meeting in, in the school, talked to the principal, told them that this is what I want to do. And, and they gave me a go for this. You, you have to speak up. It's, uh, it, it is amazing, you know, but it's so funny that it's more people don't than do. And 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 I think that's why it's very important that you know we share those stories and and you do that and and thank you for doing that. It's you know the world is better uh, for for folks. You know uh, we need more shiras in the world <laughs> who can do this because you know if you can if people can learn from this and be inspired by it and just ask a thing right and, and and i've had this all the time too like how did i start a podcast how did i start a blog how did i start get the company the job of the company there's a point where i just i would say like well no one's no one seems to be asking so i'm i'm gonna ask a weird question here but you know i was a contractor at an organization that i was at and 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 i went to the to my manager you know who's you know, signs my timesheets you know has no responsibility to me other than signing my timesheets but we we got along and i said hey uh i see there's a job open on the server team like is there any way that like i know i'm on a contract but what what do you do and he says you know it's funny no one has ever asked that before and 
then when I went to, you know, another job offer and I got the job and, you know, somebody else had a similar situation come up where they were on a contract with me and, and they were like, I don't understand. Like, how did you get the, get the job? I said, I, I just went to Wayne and I asked him. <laughs> and, and so I coached that person and they went to Wayne and they became my peer in the server team. And so like, but it's, it's, and that's what it is, right? The first person that jumps in the pool that lets you know that the water's okay. And yeah. it's, it's nice. It's beautiful when you can be that person. And it's even more amazing when you watch how many people can take that capability that they saw and then bring it into themselves and, and carry themselves forward and, and you know, raise themselves up. Yep, absolutely. Uh, really, all you have to do is is open your mouth because you already have the no. But how about if someone is going to say yes? You have to try it out. We, I know we don't have much time left, and I wish I could steal more time. I will. I'm going to have you. I'd love to have you back because you talked about. You said the word fundraising, and I know we talked at the very start. And I, I don't want to try and squeeze that into five minutes because it's a, a really good discussion. I would love to have raising money in what most people would think is the most difficult time to do so you know in many decades you know in the world uh but also probably the exact right time to do that for a variety of reasons as well that's a, a real interesting challenge but uh so shira if you had any if you had a thing that you would tell people to do to make today better than yesterday for themselves. What's what are what's sort of a thing that you, when someone says I, I need to make myself better, what, what's that first thing that comes to your mind if, if you think of what I what they can do for themselves? Don't wait for anyone to tell you how to get better or how to help yourself. This is really up to you to decide how to shape your life. Then just go ahead and do it. Be it, you know, a new job, learn something new. Uh, I don't know, find a, a, a wife or a husband, um, you know, buy an apartment. Don't wait for anyone to tell you what is right and what is wrong. Make a decision and then follow it. And mainly don't stop learning all the time. It never ends. That's amazing. Well, thank you very much for spending the time today. And for folks that, and I I wish I could have spent more time talking. Uh, I'd actually like to dive, like I said, into the deeper into the technology and, and into the sort of funding story. We'll catch up again. I know awesome. people would like to hear that. And for anybody that does want to find out more, of course, they can go to Solvo, S-O-L-V-O dot cloud. Easy way to find you. I'll have links in the show notes. Uh, and if they wanted to reach out and get in contact with you, Shira, what's the best way to do so? Uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, I'm very available. Just uh, ping me, DM me, text me, I'm there. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for spending the time today. And uh, like I said, it's is, it's been a real a real pleasure. I feel inspired. I'm going to do uh, I'm going to do good things this afternoon, and I'm going to find somebody else and help them do good things because uh, you know I think that's the best we can do for the world. Then my job here is done. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks.